Welcome to another episode of Learn with Bestern, where we discuss the latest trends in leadership development, self-development, as well as well-being. There's so much information out there. We want to make sure we bring in the latest insights and research based on neuroscience and behavior change to give you the tools that you need to make a change in your personal and professional lives. Join us on a journey to learn more. We hope you enjoy this episode and don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with others that might find it helpful. Despite increased efforts and awareness around adversity, inclusion, and social justice, neurodiversity continues to be an underrepresented part of most organizations at work. So when we are talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, think about about it in certain countries, bipolar disorders can reach up to 4% of the population, but we rarely hear about it at work. We can only have two conclusions. Either bipolar people are not well accepted in the workplace, there is fear, misunderstanding, or their mental illness is not something that prevents them to do any jobs. To tell you the truth, I don't have any answer about that. That's why I wanted to invite to learn with Besson somebody who knows about it, not only because he acts as a counselor, but also because of his own experience with bipolar disorder. Rabbi Alfredo Borodowski is based in New York. He was raised in Argentina, a beautiful country, by the way. He earned a law degree in the University of Buenos Aires. Then he was ordained as a rabbi and earned a doctorate in the Jewish philosophy from the Jewish Theological Seminary of America, where he was teaching for over a decade. Welcome, Alfredo. It seems to me there are two parts on your personal story and one is about the intellectual and spiritual counselor, and the other one is as representative and advocate of people with bipolar disorder. And I want to know more. When was this transition happening, Alfredo? Well, you, hello everybody, by the way, uh, here in New York, burning with uh, who knows how many degrees. <laughs> wow. Uh, but uh, I have, you know, I, I love the heat. The, you know, I think that when I talk about my life, there is a before and after. And on the morning of June 19th of 2013, I, my life changed 180 degrees. That morning I was arrested. I was arrested in the town of Mamaroneck in New York in Westchester. I was arrested for impersonating a police officer. For two months, I had been stopping people on the highway, identifying myself as a police, and instructing them how to drive. Um, I was in a manic state. I was wrongly medicated with an antidepressive. Then I was both manic and with a pill that was making me super manic. And I lost a sense of judgment. I never was violent or anything like that. I just told people how to, how to drive and I was arrested. And Ivan in just two weeks, 
I was hospitalized on a, on a psychiatric ward for the first time, where I was diagnosed as bipolar for the first time. I've been bipolar all my life for over 50 years, and I didn't know about it. I was fired from my job, and I was had a prestigious position as an executive director of a adult education program. I was fired. I was ridiculed by the press that called me the road rage rabbi. Wow. And a complete circus was there around me to the point that I was on the front page of articles in Ireland and in Japan. And my life collapsed. And I lost sense of who I was. I had to redefine myself as somebody with a mental illness. I lost my job I loved. And I was basically a caricature in the eyes of society. All that happened, Ivan, basically in two weeks. Hmm. Alfredo, I want to understand a little bit more. So you mentioned the state of the manic state. And as far as I understood, Bipolarity is about jumping from manic to depression. So what is really a manic st uh, state? Well, look, I, I, uh, I, it's like you have a, an engine and the engine is now working at full speed, energized. I, I wrote on my book, that I was like a Mustang, you know, running wild on the meadows, free and jumpy and with endless energy. While I was manic, I was writing two books at the same time. I was the first one to come to work before even the, 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 the building opened the doors. I ate little, I slept two or three hours a night. I felt great, but I was burning inside and I was losing my sense of judgment. Uh, there is a double-edged sword because you feel at your best, you feel that you can do anything you want to do, there are not limits, that, that, that you know, you are you are completely at your at the edge of what you can do. But at the same time, you are walking a tightrope because there is fragility that it's uh, attached to it. The fragility of somebody who is racing a car at full speed and taking the curve without pressing the brakes, then 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 you are you are addictive actually to your mania. You want the mania because the mania actually is like give you superpowers. Mm. Uh, but you know, uh, you can fly like Superman and crash against an asteroid, okay? <laughs> if you are not watching things well. And that's what's happened to me. Uh, as I mentioned, I was given, unfortunately, an antidepressant that exacerbated my mania and made it even worse. And I crash, hmm. and it's only because I crashed that I discovered that I was bipolar. By the way, and 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 I, what I learned, what I learned, 
is that you need to learn to read, to read the signs of who you are. That there are going to be signs, there are going to be things you do, there are going to be feelings you have. You have to talk with your family and friends who are observers of who you are and give them permission to let you know if they see any change of you. Certainly you have to be under professional care. Uh, I was told by my wife, Alfredo, go to the psychiatrist. You know, I see, I see you, you're not good here. You're not well. And I resisted, I resisted, mm. okay? Uh, it, took, it took a crash. It took uh, what happened to me to, as a wake up call. But what I learned from it is self-awareness. Self-awareness mm -hmm. is the key, is the key to any mental illness to develop self-awareness, Ivan. Mm -hmm. So there the, the was two parts of, of what you just mentioned that I would like to know a little bit more. First, there is your termination from your job. I would like to understand that was it something that where you justified it like you were putting in danger others or yourself? Uh, that's number one. And then the second point, it, it is more about understanding. Is, is it like there is really a huge part of the population who can be potentially bipolar and they don't know about it? What is it? Is there like big misconceptions about bipolar disorder? I was dangerous to nobody. And actually, mm -hmm. we know from studies, we know that if somebody is bipolar or has a mental illness, the chances is that the person is going to be dangerous to himself or to herself. Yeah. That the person is going to commit suicide or the people is going to injure him or herself or they're going to spend all their money, okay? Or they're going to antagonize their friends, okay? Or, they have, or, or they're going to have an affair. Okay, then, then the, the victim of mental illness is the person who has mental illness. And we had to stop for one and for all blaming people with mental illness. In the United States, we live in a country where you can buy basically a machine gun, the way you buy candy at the store. Indeed. We live in a society where people work more than any other country and they are overworked and they, most of them cannot make ends meet. We live in a society where social media preys on the soul of people and make people feel like garbage. We live in a society where on the school backyard, people, kids are being bullied systematically. We live in a society where people are in, many young people are in trillion of dollars because they want, they have debts for having an education. We live in a society where people are in debt trying to keep their health because they cannot afford healthcare. Okay, and we have the audacity of blaming people with mental illness. Okay, when okay when there is a society which systematically creates a chaotic existence where yes, some people are going out of it to react, but these are not the people like me. These are not the people with mental illness. Okay, who in their majority are peaceful people who try to get life. And better the society instead of finding a scapegoat on people with mental illness, look at its own shortcomings and take responsibility, okay, for the society we have created instead of 
taking the easy road of picking up of the people with mental illness are the reason for violence in this country, okay? Sure. This is unfair and cold. We people with mental illness are actually productive members of any society, okay? We have enough problems, okay? Trying to have a productive life to be now also to be the address for the shortcomings of society. I, I love the way you describe it, Alfredo, because you are saying the raw truth. Let, let's continue. <clears throat> so beyond the mood swings that we mentioned just before from manic to depression. So when, um, when we are looking at the dark side of bipolarity, which is a little bit more in the depression side, what are the symptoms that put patients or might potentially put others in danger? How do, what is the feelings that uh, people have? Look, as I mentioned, uh, it, it, it's like telling now that people, we, sh we should not sell liquor anymore in this country or anywhere because there are drunk drivers. Mm. Okay? Mm. And in the case of drunk drivers, by the way, actually drinking at a party and saying that you're not going to have more than a certain amount of drinks is a choice. Mm. To have depression or to have mania is not a choice, okay? It's a condition. Certainly there are things we can do to minimize as I go to a psychologist, you know, I go to a psychiatrist, I go to the gym, okay? I have my family and friends watching me closely and I ask them basically to be a feedback to me, okay? Then I, there is a lot of safeguards which allow a person with a mental illness to have a balanced life, okay? They have a balanced life. And, 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 and people who responsibly, uh, and by the way, and you may have depression, okay? And people tell you, well, come on, come out of it. Use your will. Yeah. And they don't no. understand that they don't understand that that depression is not a choice, okay? Uh, depression actually is a condition where you become dangerous to yourself, not to others, hmm. okay? And many is a condition where you become dangerous to yourself mostly, not to others, okay? Then then uh, then then the, the, the main responsibility of a person who has a mental illness is a responsibility towards the self, okay, in terms of watching who you are, watching the, you know, the processes that may bring you the mental illness and having in place already a plan, having already a plan. But I want Ivan definitely to disattach, to disconnect, the word danger from mental illness. There are people with a mental illness who will do dangerous things, okay? But that sentence is applicable to every person walking the earth that they are in certain, okay? Okay, okay, okay. They are, they, they, there is nothing in the mental illness itself that gives that person the character of being dangerous. Clearly somebody has a mental illness and he's not taking care and he's not taking care and he's bullied and he's abused, 
Mm. Uh, we have a healthcare system where to get any kind of service for your mental illness become a labyrinth that is mm. impossible to manage. Okay, and 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 it's so difficult to find a psychiatrist, and it's so difficult, you know, you don't have the resources. Then we have not created also the safety net that this society requires for people who need help to get the help they need. Okay, mm. then the question is, where are we investing our resources? Okay, okay, how is this country choosing to spend its money? Okay, well, how the society as a whole creates a healthy environment where aggression and where social media that offends and where bullying are not tolerated? Okay, <laughs> that's the question. The question is not the person with mental illness. The question is a society, which kind of society we have created. That drives me to my next question, Alfredo. Imagine that you have a magic wand, you have possibility to do some magic. What would you do to improve the challenges of people with bipolar disorder? So you have any power in the world. What would you do? Well, first, first of all, uh, I believe, by the way, that we are not playing, people with mental illness are not playing the game well. We have not learned that we need to come together as a movement. Mm -hmm. the, same, the same way that other minorities demanded dignity mm. and marched saying, we demand dignity and we are equal and we are not second-class citizens, the mental illness community has not yet come together to be a force for its own sake. We are tentative. What most organizations involved with mental illness do, they go to politicians, knock the doors of Albany or the Congress to look for more resources. <laughs> That's fine, we need more resources. I want something else. I want to end stigma by bringing, bringing dignity, okay? We have basically to have a 1 million mentally ill march, okay? We have to create mental illness think tanks across the country where we bring the wisdom of those with mental illness to the world. Every person with a mental illness is a life coach to the world. We know about perseverance, we know about bravery, we know about hope, we know about darkness more than the average person. We have not yet articulated our wisdom as an added value to society. And for that, we have nobody to blame. Then if you have the magic wand, you know, I will let the organizations we are fighting for better care, for more resources to continue doing the work wonderfully, I go into a different direction. I want to create a movement of wisdom of those who have mental illness. That's why, Ivan, my next book, by the way, is going to be an interactive book. Every yeah. chapter, we, every chapter we have a link. Then I have a chapter on acceptance, a chapter on shame, a chapter on self-esteem, a chapter on uncertainty, a chapter on goals, a chapter on, on exhaustion, but each section of the chapter, we have a link. And the reader will click the link, go to a website and give his or her own 
wisdom. And we are going to create the collective wisdom of mental illness. And we are going to move the discussion from being victims, from being perpetrators, from being scapegoats, to being agents of wisdom. That's what I would do if I had a magic wand. I found it quite amazing. But I want to put into perspective for the audience something that, so in the last two, three years, we have been discussing a lot about mental health and specifically because of the cases of burnout in the workplace, right? So we have some uh, numbers that say that 46% of people are, are having extreme anxiety that is very close to, uh, to burnout. So if we are capable of being sensitive to the cause of people with burnout, why we cannot be sensitive to something that we know a little bit less because the picture that we have about bipolarity is really a little bit fuzzy. I mean, I, and I discussed with you, Alfredo, the last time that we spoke that my reference of uh, bipolarity, it was a movie in the 90s, end of the 90s called Girl Interrupted. That, that's my, 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 the level of knowledge that I have about bipolarity. So it's something that either we don't see, we have heard that somebody is bipolar, but at work, I mentioned to you, if we are saying that approximately 4% of the population has bipolar disorder, and during the 20 years or more that I have been working, I have never met a bipolar person at work, that means that it's really, really hidden. And God knows, maybe I have in my 20 years, I have met approximately 5,000 people. So out of 5,000 people that I have met at work, I haven't met a single case of bipolarity because they are either not working or they are working and nobody noticed, which is the two of the potential uh, <laughs> paths. Well, I, 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 Ivan, I told you, one of the reasons is that, that, that the mental illness community has not yet articulated the message by which they go to the world with a positive wisdom, mm. okay? Mm. But I tell you, COVID should have changed the equation because one of the things of COVID is that people now know what depression is, mm. okay? People know now what anxiety, anxiety is. Uh, and we are missing an opportunity. It should be a national discussion now on what is mental illness from the perspective of a greater empathy because people now they have at least suffer or experience a little bit of what the people with mental illness experience in a more chronic way. And I don't see that discussion taking place. Mm. I don't mm. see the major organizations, the national organizations that lead the discussion of mental illness, I don't see them now taking the opportunity of having a national discussion of empathy. Because we are now at the point like never before where the population as a whole has, has a taste of what depression is. And by the way, they have a taste of depression because some of them couldn't get out of the house and go to the favorite restaurant for a while, okay? Or because they had to work from home, some of them couldn't see their grandchildren. And that's, I, I understand it's terrible. I understand, I empathize. Okay, but also let's frame things the way they are. That cannot compare to somebody who has depression out of mental illness. Okay, then it should be a tremendous empathy because if COVID 
has created such a disarray in people. And now they have tested what anxiety and empathy uh, and, and, and uh, anxiety and depression is. Mm. Okay. And this was kind of a temporary situation. They don't have to live all their life with it. Then now is a window of opportunity has been opened for a national discussion and more sensitivity and more, more understanding and more openness about mental illness in general. And I don't see books being written about this. I don't see lectures being written, you know, be, being delivered about this on, in terms of how must be a shift on, of consciousness towards people with mental illness or more acceptance or more openness because now the average American has experience in one way or another what we experience in a chronic, more severe way. That discussion must take place. It's a unique opportunity, Ivan. Yeah, indeed. I want to pick in something that you mentioned before about your personal life. <clears throat> so what I know is that until recently, or even still now, you have been acting as a spiritual counselor. And suddenly, when you, you were you saw that you had the signs of bipolar disorder because of this incident back in 2013, uh, you needed the help of counselors, either family or either, uh, I mean, professional counselors. Did that affect you negatively or positively in your life? Well, you know, uh, <clears throat> a year ago, I, I took three months to read <laughs> every article and every study I could find on the impact of spirituality on mental illness. Mm -hmm. And I found evidence-based article studies that show beyond doubt about the positive impact of spirituality on mental illness. And usually mm -hmm. in, in the following domains, it, was sh it shows that prayer lowers anxiety, it shows that community is essential for the well-being of the person, it shows that ritual, ritual is a, and not necessarily religious ritual, but ritual in general, lowers uncertainty, and shows that religion in general, or spirituality if you want to call it, give you a general framework about how the world works. They give you a belief system, and that belief system sustains you in moments of chaos. Then I, I, I absolutely believe that within getting into debates about religion in general, that spirituality is essential, it's an essential component on the well-being of a person with mental illness. And on my coaching, when I coach people, uh, I use what is called positive psychology, which is a psychology of strengths. Then we immediately look at what your strengths are because people with mental illness, we believe that we are weak, that we are defective, that we are damaged. Then we begin the coaching from the perspective of what your strengths are, which every person has according to positive, positive psychology. And for me, God, Ivan, 
I have different views of God, by the way. You know, sometimes <laughs> I have a God according to how I feel. I not, you know, I have a PhD on theology, but I don't expect people to be systematic about God. Find your God according to the situation, actually. You don't have to be coherent about God. But the God that usually works for me when I am relaxed is God is the power or the potential in the cosmos. Is the potential in the cosmos, is the power in the cosmos, is the power for flourishing <clears throat> that also exists in the, per in the person, then God is our potential to become. And on my coaching, what I do, I explore the potentiality that every human being has. And I do it from the spiritual perspective, I do it from the positive psychology perspective. No doubt that the mental illness has deepened my spiritual commitment, has opened me to experiences about what is the power I have in myself, has shown me darkness. I have seen hope, despair, I've seen the power of community. I have prayed beyond what the formal prayer is. Sometimes the formal prayer has helped me tremendously and sometimes my own prayers. And I can testify that the combination of positive psychology and spiritual search are tremendous tools for a balanced life facing the challenge of mental illness. And it doesn't have to be, I believe in God or I believe in God. It has to be with the potential that every human being has. I believe that everybody with a mental illness has a destiny. I, I compare, sorry, yes. continue, continue, continue. And everybody with a mental illness has the chance to find a path. And that's what I help people to do, to find a path. Hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I do believe that somehow the spirituality helps you out with the, the, the search of meaning that anyone needs in these days. And the other part is like, when you were talking about prayers, many of my friends who, are, who do continuously pray in a daily basis, uh, compared praying like an exercise of mindfulness. So a little bit like feeling the present moment. So I, I find it quite positive and quite relatable to all of the concept of, concepts of positive psychology. Now, coming back to, to, the, to the coaching part, and you mentioned that it is about helping people reach their potential. So my question is, can you aspire despite of a bipolar condition to become anything you want? Look, I, I, uh, I tell you, will somebody become the captain of a nuclear submarine being <laughs> bipolar? If the, if the Navy finds out that, will somebody be in charge of the space, space, space station being schizophrenic? If NASA finds out, I don't know. I don't know. 
okay it may be a problem what okay. i can tell you what i can tell you is that everybody according to the life they get must find a path and aspiration and sometimes that aspiration may be more realistic and must find adjustment and be rooted in what is possible. But I tell you one thing, that despite mental illness, I think that people can find fulfillment. And that fulfillment may be different from what they expected or what they wish. But one thing I learned about, about men, my mental illness and all the, 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 the processes and experiences I had is that the self is extremely flexible, that we have an infinite power of adjustment, that we have an unlimited power of finding meaning despite the situation. Then, then I will not go into concrete examples of who you can be or who you not can be. What I can tell you is that you can have a full life. Uh, and that full life may look or seem different from your neighbor's full life. And that we have to create safeguards and you will have to create methods uh, and to be self-aware as I mentioned before, <laughs> but that a life of mental illness is a first class life. It's I love second, it. Not a second class life, okay? It's yours cannot be taken away from you. We need to move from a point of lamentation to a point of flourishing. From lamentation to flourishing. I believe that people with mental illness have a unique wisdom. I believe that we have not been told to explore it and we have not yet found the tools to do it. That's my number one commitment. My number one commitment to the mental illness community is to articulate its wisdom. And I believe that once that wisdom comes out, stigma is going to diminish because we are going to show the world that we are owners of wisdom. Uh, by the way, uh, that's why you go back to the book. That what the, 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 what, that's why the book is interactive it's because I want to collect the wisdom. And by the way, there is a chapter on prayer. You mentioned prayer before. Yeah. I, was I was very careful to add, to, I took a risk to sound too religious, but I added a chapter on prayer. It's very flexible. It has like 50 different views of prayer. Okay. Then people can work the chapter and find their own space within prayer. Uh, but, but I decided that the book on spirituality and mental illness must have a chapter in prayer. Alfredo, I just have to say something from the, <clears throat> my personal perspective. What you're saying is something that is very touching. I mentioned to you that I have my personal story with burnout. And when you talk to me like that, I, I really feel it inside of my heart. Thank you very much for that. Uh, it's one of the, the moments where I feel a little bit touched by my guest. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about something else. You and me have something in common. We come from Latin America. Hmm. We grew up in Latin America. So I want to understand, is there 
any major difference that you see between the perspective on mental illnesses in the USA versus how people perceive the same in Argentina? It's a paradox, Ivan, it's a paradox. From one perspective, the issue of mental illness in South America is more of a taboo. Mm. Okay, it's, you hear less about it. Uh, they are not strong national organizations of the same level that we have here. Mm. The, safe, the safeguards and are, are, less, are less stronger in South America in the kind of the kind of services that are offered. But what they have in South America is a much more le, le, people in South America, you go for a coffee, you say, let's go for coffee with somebody, even somebody mm -hmm. you know very well. And the discussion is much more existential than in America. My my deeper, my deeper, you know, immediately, what's going on in your life? Tell me all your secrets. And people <laughs> pull the heart, the heart out. That happened to me in Israel, by the way, where I lived many years. That happened to me in Europe, too. In America, we are more guarded here. We are more guarded. We are like, it's very utilitarian. The question is what I can get out of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Okay, in South America, I had the deepest conversations about the meaning of life. Yep. Uh, people tell you two minutes after you meet how much money they make. <laughs> okay. You don't have to ask uh, for it. <laughs> you don't have to ask for it. Okay. Uh, they tell you about the sexual life. Okay. They tell you, you know, there, there is there is a more open existential domain, which I find it enriching. Okay. Enriching. You meet with a friend after 20 years, it's like you met yesterday and tells you everything about the family. Then I would say that at the institutional level, there is less offer in South America for mental illness. I would say that there is more ignorance and more taboo. Hmm. But at the general level of society, there is a there's a higher level of openness and existential discourse. <laughs> and the human encounter is a little bit more profound. Hmm. Okay. Uh, now, I want to jump now to the dark side again. So you mentioned that, in fact, the dark side about bipolarity is basically the danger that for ourselves, when we have bipolarity, uh, depression comes and the risk of suicide is quite high. Uh, I have some numbers between 15 to 70% of people are having uh, bipolarity are committing suicide. How can family, friends, and society reduce that risk, Alfredo? You must have a plan. This has to be discussed by the, by the family when the things are okay and quiet. Mm -hmm. They must have a plan. They must know the resources in the community. They must know which hospital, which psychiatric hospital in the community has a unit that has units that go to your home, okay, and help with the situation. It, Family has to get to know the other person. My wife is my biggest canary on the mind. My wife, you know, I, she knows exactly when I am beginning to get manic and she tells me. I don't get very happy about it, Ivan, okay? <laughs> I, I complain against it, but I, there, there are some things I do. Uh, for example, I tell you, 
something very characteristic of me is that I begin saying words which I invented. I invented my own language when I was manic. But that's yes. a typically Argentinian, Alfredo. Well, you know, <laughs> that's true, actually. It's my Argentinian, <laughs> Argentinian mania, okay? <laughs> then when I get manic, I may use a word which is completely Alfredo's word. My wife would look at me and said, okay, we have a problem here. You're sure. using the word that is, and, and, and actually that will, will make me reflect, hmm. will make me reflect. By the way, I also know that my mania comes from May to August. Wow. It's seasonal, it's okay. seasonal. It, it, it increases with when the weather, when there is sun, and the days become longer and this energy and began exercising and I get out. Okay, it's like the sun and the good weather increase my mania. I know that. Mm -hmm. Then beginning of May, at May I go to my psychiatrist. I go to my psychiatrist every month, but on May I go to my psychiatrist specifically to create a plan for the next three months. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I go, I, I go to the gym religiously on those three months. Okay, I keep, I take a medicine, my, my medicine every night at 8.15, I have a ritual. Then I have created a ritual about when to take the medicine then I don't skip it. Okay, my wife, had, my wife knows that she got to watch me more closely on those three months. Okay, I know that, 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 that how I drive, okay, how I react to others. I already have created a system by which I can check myself. Then it has to do even with awareness. It has to do with creating a safety system with your family and friends who you trust. It has to do by taking advantage of resources like your psychiatrist and psychologist to which I, I, I talk to every week. Hmm. It has to be with taking your medication. You have to create a complete system by which you control and you foresee uh, and you time, timing is not perfect because bipolar comes and go and depression also, and sometimes it's triggered internally, but you pay attention, you are going to begin to discover patterns. Hmm. And that's by the way, what I do also in coaching. Hmm. In coaching, I create rituals, that try to frame and create a stable process in your illness for which ritual are magnificent. I create a self-awareness and I talk with the family about creating a, sounding a positive sounding board that not only react to crisis, but is part of the preventive process. Hmm. Uh, Alfredo, but is it a challenge? So I, I, I'm just, just trying to reflect on the point that if you need to have this sounding board from the family who will tell you you are having this, uh, uh, these symptoms, uh, and I mean, are we, is human nature to do sometimes to don't be receptive when it's kind of hurting to that somebody is pointing out something that we don't feel that well that I, I don't know, feeling of a shame, of shame, of or feeling that that we are not doing well. So, are we? Can we be receptive to our wives or or family to, about the, the early symptoms? 
Well, we had to try. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We had to try. Sometimes I am very receptive. I learned to be receptive. Okay. Because I learned, I learned the hard way. What are the consequences of not being receptive? Indeed. Okay. And I tell you something. Fear is not bad. Fear is part of the equation. Fear of what could be if I don't listen. Fear of being arrested again. Fear of losing my job again. It's a deterrent. Mm. It's a deterrent. You have to distinguish between fear and panic. Panic is paralyzing. Mm. Actually, panic robs you of your rationality. But there is a fear, which is a healthy fear. Then, <laughs> then when my wife says, I'd rather you use a word that doesn't exist. I have a moment of fear. It's a good one. Uh, I, my wife also knows that I'm going to get to react negatively. And I said, leave me alone. Stop it. Okay, then she was also prepared. She's prepared for my reaction because nobody wants to be told you're doing something wrong. But she's already part of the process is her knowing that I'm going to complain again. And she's going to wait another hour and say, you said a bad word, a word that didn't exist. And I want you to be aware of that. And because it becomes already part of the process of our communication, of our communication, I have learned to accept it. It wasn't automatic, Ivan, and it wasn't willful at the beginning. But fear and love. You, keep, you need to learn that people who love you are not going always to say you how nice you are. People who love you are going to tell you some truth that you need to listen to. Uh, but I had to learn. <laughs> okay, I had to learn and she had to persist. Okay. <laughs> Lovely, Alfredo. Alfredo, we are reaching the end. And I just wanted to, to highlight that you have collected already quite a lot of information in your website, which is bipolarrabbi.com. Let me tell you how it's spelled. B-I-P-O-L-A-R-R-A-B-B-I.com. Yes, it's bipolar. Yeah. Rabbi, then you have two R's, by Porter yes. and Rabbi, they come together, and Rabbi has two B's, BB, by Rabbi.com. That's a good way to reach out for more resources. You are in LinkedIn. The last thing that I wanted to ask you, this book, when do we see the light and what is it going to be focused on? Okay, then two things. First of all, I publish a newsletter every week. Mm -hmm. Okay, then if you go to bipolarrabbi.com and you sign up, you're going to get the newsletter. The newsletter actually is very practical. You know, the next one, for example, is on self-sabotage. Mm. Okay, how to prevent self-sabotaging. Okay, uh, the, the one last week was a practical guide about how to visit somebody at the psychiatric ward. Good. Okay, That's people don't know how to practical. visit, okay? Then it's yeah. practical, it's practical, and it's also psychological and it's spiritual. The book is going to come in around five months. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's going to be in online and it's going to be also on paperback. It's going to be very cheap. 
Okay, by the way, because the intention of the book is to create a com community of mental health wisdom. As I mentioned, it's interactive. Mm. And I want people, this is an opportunity for people to talk, to create a community of wisdom, to teach the, and then I'm going to take all that wisdom and I'm going to put it in the next book where we are going to deliver the wisdom to the general society. Okay, then, then no more excuses that nobody's listening to us. <clears throat> Okay, and it's going clearly I'm going to promote it on social media and I'm going to, to invite people, but every chapter is going to have a link, multiple links for people to go to a dedicated website and anonymously, they can only, they can say their first name, their age, if they want, anonymously deliver the wisdom so much suffering, Ivan, that we go through with mental illness cannot go without meaning. It has to be serve the purpose of teaching others. Every person with a mental illness is a potential life coach, teaching teacher. <clears throat> then I'm going. You're going to see the the, the 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 book on the website. You're going to see it on social media around five months from now, and hopefully, I'm going to create a national dialogue, okay? If I get 200 people, okay, to, to share the wisdom, we are, I think that we are going to inspire others. Uh, Alfredo, I hope that you will ask me to contribute. Secondly, count on me to promote this book because I think it is super necessary in our society. And as you mentioned, we don't talk enough about bipolarity and this is something that is quite, worldwide spread and we know very little about it. Alfredo, thank you very much for your time. I really enjoy spending some time with you. Ivan, thank you for the thank you for the opportunity to everybody who's listening who has a mental has a mental illness. Let's do it together. Okay. Let's bring let's bring wisdom to the world. You are a master of wisdom. You are a master of wisdom. You may not know it, but uh, you are. <laughs> Thank you, Alfredo.